Welcome to Daily Grace. We believe that the Bible is true, trustworthy, and timeless. And we want to help women like you know and love God's Word. The Bible shows us who God is, and who He is changes everything. My name is Joanna. And I'm Stephanie. Come join us as we chat about the truth of God's Word in our everyday lives. Feelings can be complicated, and we get mixed messages in the Christian world about how to deal with them. Today, we are joined on the podcast by Courtney Reisick, and she is the author of the new book, Teach Me to Feel. And today, she is talking with us about how we can engage our emotions in a healthy and biblical way. I'm sure this conversation will be super helpful for all of us, so come on and join us. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Daily Grace. This is Stephanie, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Joanna. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, so today is interview day, and we are so grateful to have Courtney Rysick join us. Courtney is a wife, a mom to four boys, and an author of a few books, her latest being Teach Me to Feel, Worshiping Through the Psalms in Every Season of Life. And you know, I was able to read through parts of this book during the global pandemic, and it was incredibly timely. But as I work through it, I would definitely say it's a helpful book for all believers in every season of life. So we'll be sure to link it in our show notes for all of you listeners. Um, But yeah, Courtney, thanks so much for using your gift to edify the body. And thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, I know Stephanie gave you a little bit of an introduction, but would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and about your family? Yeah, I'm married to Daniel. We've been married for 11 years in in a little over a week. Well, it'll be our 11-year anniversary. And we have four boys. We have twins who are seven. We have a son who will be five next Tuesday. And then we have a son who will be three, three weeks after that. <laughs> so, oh, um, wow. Fun. Yeah. So we um, are in the throes of preschool and elementary age years. And mm-hmm. right now, because of the pandemic, I am homeschooling them. But I don't <laughs> do that all the time. <laughs> So when yeah. I'm not doing that uh, during and then at whatever is normal during a normal yeah. time period, I uh, write and teach the Bible and um, and then a seminary student part time. So oh, love that. Where do you go to seminary? I go to Southern Seminary in Louisville. So I yeah. went there um, about 12 years ago. I or almost 13 years ago now. I started there. And I um, got married and we couldn't afford for both of us to go. And so I dropped out. <laughs> so I had yeah. to drop out. And so I had about uh, about 30 credits under my belt whenever I mm-hmm. stopped attending. And then a few years ago or a couple of years ago, we realized that my classes were going to start expiring. So we started uh-huh. thinking about what that would look like if I was able to go back. And so I started again uh, a year ago in August. And so I'll oh, have fun. Uh, yeah. So hopefully I will graduate with an MA in a year from now, hopefully we'll see. Yay. And then um, I'm hoping to go on and get a doctor of education. So awesome. Oh, wow. Very cool. That is awesome. Everything is up in the year. The world is very uncertain right now. Yes. It, isn't it always? This is just gives us a extra heightened awareness of how uncertain everything is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. true. <laughs> I feel like I 
what I did six months ago is different than what I do right now. But that's life. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. I know when you were talking about normal, I was like, what is normal? <laughs> What's that like again? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I was telling my husband, I just want some sort of normalcy, but I think, I don't think we're going to have that for a long time. Mm -mm. Yeah. It's going to be different going back for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you know, Courtney, I appreciate that you have just written on a variety of topics um, like infertility and motherhood. Um, you really do have this gift of tackling really tough topics with a lot of insight and vulnerability and, and wisdom. And so I'm grateful that you wrote on this topic that we're going to talk about today, which is emotions. And, you know, I think that could be a tough topic to appropriately navigate. But I love what you said in, you know, in Teach Me to Feel. You show us that God wants to engage our feelings. You know, he created us in his image, and that means we're not emotionally neutral beings. And so could you start us off here by talking to us about what role feelings have in the life of a believer? Oh, yeah, they have uh, They have a lot of roles. They can uh, <laughs> diagnose uh, maybe where our heart is and, and kind of mm -hmm. where we're um, and maybe how we're processing things or not processing things. Mm -hmm. They play a big role just in the life of a human because God created us in his image and he created us as thinking and feeling beings. Mm -hmm. So we were created obviously with a, a brain to think, but we were also created with a, a will and a, and a heart that allows us to feel things. And so mm -hmm. you see this in, at a very early age, even in children, they feel uh, pain, they feel happiness, they feel sadness. And then we, as as we grow into adulthood, continue with a variety of feelings. And so they can be really helpful to us in diagnosing maybe where our heart is, but they can also be really mm -hmm. helpful to us in diagnosing um, the reality of living in a broken world. And so I think sometimes we, I think as Christians in particular, we don't struggle as much with feeling happy uh, We because we feel like Christians should be happy and joyful and, um, and trusting in the Lord. But I think sometimes Christians struggle with feeling sad or feeling mm. uh, despair or discouraged or any yeah. myriad of emotions that you might feel because of of living in a broken world. And so feelings help mm. us understand the world that we live in and help us understand what life is supposed to be like. And so yeah. I think even in the pandemic, a lot of us are dealing with a, a, a lot of maybe grief and disappointment over what we thought was going to happen in the, in the mm -hmm. months that we've all been quarantined at home. And that, I mean, there's so many people who have things that have been canceled and um, they've lost their jobs. They've, they've dealt with a whole host of difficulty and yeah. we should feel something about that because we yeah. are living in a broken world. And so I think that Christians sometimes are afraid to feel the sad feelings um, and the hard mm -hmm. feelings, but those are, are all intended to point us back to um, that this world is not how God intended it to be, but that God yeah. also is one day going to make all things right. And so that's a helpful diagnostic tool for us in helping us understand how the world's supposed to be and then how the world will one day be. Mm. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that you said that we should feel those mm -hmm. things. You know, like we, we we should feel something about the brokenness. And I think that a lot of us maybe push back against the idea of feeling at all, um, especially yeah. when it is those harder feelings. Um, and, you know, I think that one thing that comes into play, too, is that we do have these feelings that were given to us from God. You know, we are created in God's image and God feels. But because of our fallen nature, 
we don't always know how to process those feelings. We mm-hmm. don't always know, you know, what feelings are appropriate. Um, and so can you kind of walk us through a little bit how scripture can actually inform our feelings and help us to engage our feelings? Yeah. So the most helpful way we can see our scripture helping us engage our feelings in the poetic um, parts of scripture, because poetry, if you're familiar with just literature in general, poetry is Mm -hmm. like a song. It is a song. Mm -hmm. We all understand what it means to feel something when you hear a song or hear a lyric that really Mm -hmm. either ministers to you or brings back a memory or things like that. And so poetry engages us at the heart level in a way that Mm -hmm. um, the epistles wouldn't necessarily always engage to the heart level. So we need both of those things. We need the epistles that are engaging us at the head level, but then we also Mm -hmm. need these um, emotional outworkings that we see in the Psalms and and other parts of um, poetic literature and scripture. So scripture can really help us not only feel rightly um, and and understand that it's okay to feel sadness and it's okay to feel Mm -hmm. grief and it's okay to feel all these and joy and happiness and all the other emotions that we have. Uh, but it also shapes our feelings around God. So this, the Psalms are not this explosion of feelings that are void of God because the Bible is a book about mm-hmm. God. And so the Psalms mm-hmm. are, are pointing us to God and his purposes. And they're also helping us shape our feelings around his character and around how mm-hmm. he acts. And so, so many of the Psalms of lament in particular are, real raw cries of emotion Mm -hmm. based on circumstances Mm -hmm. that the psalmist is feeling. But at the same time, they're prayers to God. They are shaped by God. They're pointing, the psalmist is trying to grapple with how he feels while he's also trying to grapple with what he knows to be true about who God has revealed himself to be in scripture. So I, for a Christian, I think sometimes we fall on two spectrums as, as just humans and as Christians, we either give full vent to our emotions without ever thinking about the implications of that. Things like, that's just how I feel. I can't help it. Mm -hmm. And then we also, we could stuff our emotions on the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I think what the Psalms do is put us in a happy middle and Mm -hmm. we are expressing how we feel to God, but also letting those feelings be shaped by God. They're not, they're not neutral. Uh, And so they ultimately need to be shaped by God and his word. Yeah. Mm. I actually really appreciated how you use the Psalms as a framework for your book. And, you know, you dove into pretty deep, raw, hard emotions and you tethered it to a Psalm and showed us how really there are Psalms that show us how to work through some really hard feelings like despair and shame and helplessness and yeah, I, th- I just thought that was so helpful to see that, yeah, they're in God's word, we can find um, God's people working through these real life emotions that we are facing right now, too. Yet they're like anchored in in God's promises and his character, like you said. Um, so why the Psalms, though? What is so significant about the Psalms and why is it particularly helpful when we consider our faith and our feelings here? For me, the Psalms are helpful because they... We walked through a really hard um, season in our family where uh, my youngest son uh, and I had a, I had a pregnancy complication that that put me in the hospital and that um, mm-hmm. made our days really uncertain while we were there, whether or not he mm-hmm. or I would live. And so the only thing I could read in in those times of distress were the Psalms. The Psalms really, I felt like captured how I felt and how... Mm-hmm. I felt like I had familiar friends there. And so 
The Psalms were just really, really helpful to me in a time of great distress. As I've studied them since then, I've found that most Christians who gravitate towards the Psalms have found them to be familiar friends in their times of great distress. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure. the Christian life in is a call to suffer. And so Christians, um, the, the normative experience for a, for a believer is that we're going to suffer, whether that's through persecution or through physical suffering or emotional suffering or some degree of that. And I've been really comforted by seeing that God, knowing that he's going to call his people to suffer, also gives them language for when they are suffering mm. to cry out mm. to him mm-hmm. and to direct their prayers back to him um, when they don't really have any words to say. And so that's yeah. Yeah. just been an incredible comfort to me in the suffering that we've faced, that suffering can feel really harsh and cruel, especially when it's compounded on on suffering upon suffering. And God knows that. And so he's given mm-hmm. us 150 psalms, not all of them are about suffering, but the bulk of them are lament. And so mm-hmm. the um, human experience is one of suffering for most people mm-hmm. and historically mm-hmm. has been one of suffering. And through it all, God's people have found great comfort in in the psalms and knowing that what the world is supposed to be like, uh, we see that in the, in the beginning of the psalms, that will flourish and grow if we meditate on mm-hmm. God's word. But sometimes we live in the messy middle of the rest of the psalms before we get to the mm-hmm. end where um, it's an explosion of praise at the end. And so the psalms just really walk us through life in a broken world. And I think that's helpful and comforting to people who are suffering. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. And I think that you're so right. Poetry is like the language of emotion, right? It's the language of feeling. And, you know, I was thinking recently about even the, the the prophets, the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament, a lot of them are written in poetry. Mm. Um, and it was incredible to realize that in the prophets, we have the words of God spoken verbatim, and he expresses himself. He uses words that are poetic and filled with emotion. You know, I think about passages where he says, like, my heart is warmed within me um, or mm. these examples that he gives of the sorrow that he feels over his people turning from him. And mm-hmm. it's such a comfort to know that in the Psalms, in the prophets, all throughout scripture, that God himself has given us even this model of feeling, of feeling mm-hmm. sorrow over the things that should be something that we're broken over and yeah. rejoicing over the things that he has called good and I think there's so much companionship there, mm-hmm. right? Not only in David and in the other psalmists, but in God himself, who is the one who we're made in his image, and that's why we feel. Yeah. And, you know, when we're talking about this idea of feelings and emotions, some people might have the tendency to want to push back because there's kind of this dichotomy, even in the church, of mm-hmm. like your head and your heart, right? You either do what feels right, follow your heart, or it's all logic and reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've already mentioned the Bible itself doesn't even follow that dichotomy. And so how do we kind of reconcile those two things? How do we balance the head and the heart? So the first way I think you do that is to kind of know yourself. So all of us Mm -hmm. kind of fall in the, typically on some spectrum, we either are going to gravitate more towards head or more towards heart. So the one mm-hmm. who would be more inclined to think of their faith only in terms of a thinking faith should discipline themselves to also process the feelings that come uh, with mm-hmm. just being human. 
then mm-hmm. there's some of us who would be more inclined to rarely think through the implications of their feelings and then letting their feelings kind of dictate um, how they respond and do things. And so for the Christian um, who struggles on either spectrum is to know yourself. I think self-awareness is super helpful in not only knowing how to live a balanced life, but also knowing how to love others well, because I think we have a Mm -hmm. tendency to judge or think other of the person who mm-hmm. would be more thinking or more feeling oriented. And I think Christians need nuance. We need to we need to live balanced lives and, and nuanced lives that are understanding that we are both and we're not either or. Mm-hmm. We are a thinking people and we're a feeling people. And mm-hmm. you see that modeled so clearly in Christ who mm-hmm. is obviously a, a a thinking being. He's a human, but he's God in the flesh. And so he speaks truth and words of wisdom and he engages at the head level so clearly but he also en- engages at the heart level and and the feelings level of with people who are deeply broken and who desperately need him to act in their lives and then even in the when you think of him in the in the garden of gethsemane he feels deeply what is about to come mm-hmm. and so he's not divorcing either of them he 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 embodies it perfectly and so christ mm-hmm. is the perfect model of this thinking faith and feeling faith that um, yeah. his his thoughts are informed by his feelings and his and his feelings don't rule him, but they they do shape him and they do help him mm-hmm. love others well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that mm-hmm. Christians have to work hard to balance those and know kind of yeah. where they fall on that spectrum and then also work to not let that rule them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that happens as we come back to God's word over and over again, right? That. Mm-hmm. Every time that we come to his word and we study his word, we are becoming more familiar with the truth of the gospel. And when we are, you know, maybe swept away by our feelings, we can anchor ourselves Mm -hmm. in that truth. Even as we're saturated in the word, that that's going to become more of a natural thing as God works that in us. Oh, absolutely. I think that knowing your Bible is the key to fixing a whole host of problems, you know? I mean, so I think that part of the reason why we we struggle with so many of the different things that we struggle with as Christians in our modern context is because most people just don't know their Bibles. They don't understand mm-hmm. them. They don't know, mm-hmm. they aren't literate in them. And so when we only know certain passages or we only know certain things and we only know mm-hmm. ideas about a passage and don't actually know our Bible, mm-hmm. we get into a whole host of problems. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so I yeah. think that Bible literacy is the key to, to mm-hmm. knowing God, obviously, but also to living rightly and Mm -hmm. to feeling rightly. Yeah. Could you share with us maybe a practical example where you have had to um, just balance the two in your life? Um, Because I feel like a lot of us could feel very deeply and, and, you know, some feelings like anxiety and and helplessness, it can really make you spiral a little bit. Um, So how could we practically like you said, you want to anchor ourselves in God's word, what would it look like? Like what encouragement could you give to someone feeling all of these feelings yet wanting to properly process it by going to scripture? I have a million of them because I struggle with this <laughs> so much. Um, I mean, the Psalms are, are kind of what I go back to when I'm struggling with how I feel. The mm-hmm. um, So this whole pandemic has been just hard in general for I think everybody. I don't think there's anyone who mm-hmm. is like this hasn't been hard for me at all. Like yeah. everyone has felt the weight of it in some some capacity. And yeah. when, when all of it first started, I, I was really overwhelmed by just the the volume of 
illness and the volume of deaths Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the volume of suffering that was happening, not just from like sickness, but through like loss of jobs. And like, I felt like everywhere I looked, every person I knew, someone was suffering from it. And so early on, I just found myself again, going back to the Psalms because Mm -hmm. every morning I would wake up and I would think I cannot face this day. I just can't Mm -hmm. emotionally face the upheaval that has happened to everybody, to us, to everyone. And so I would go back to the Psalms. I didn't know what to pray or how to pray or how to think. And so I would, this is not unique to me. This is a practice that Christians have been, have been doing for since the Psalms have been in existence, but Mm -hmm. I would pray the Psalms. So whatever Psalm I was at that day, I would, I would read it through and then I would pray uh, like what the psalm was talking about. So if the psalm was talking mm-hmm. was a lament, I would pray that lament to the Lord and I would shape it around what I knew of people who were suffering mm-hmm. or, or the how I felt overwhelmed with homeschooling my kids and having to do all the various things that suddenly just felt so insurmountable to me. Um, yeah. yeah. And then well, right at the beginning of the pandemic as well, I um, had started this process of some some illness that had come up and then we found out about three weeks in that I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And so that mm-hmm. like threw us completely mm-hmm. into like a spiral of what in the world is happening? Like, you know, like, it felt, it felt yeah. like our whole world was yeah. caving in. Then, I mean, the only thing I could read was the Psalms and I would find myself praying. The Psalms talk a lot about, about death and a lot about wanting not to die. The psalmist asks not to die a lot. Mm, I mean, those shape yeah, my prayers. Yeah. And so for me, when I have no words for mm-hmm. whatever I'm facing, mm-hmm. the psalms give me those words. And I mm-hmm. find myself going back to them over and over again and in, in praying God's words back to him. And through that, the Lord uses it to shape my trust in who he is because you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to get through a psalm without seeing God's character and that helps yeah. me see that I'm not the first or the last person who's walked through this turmoil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also not the first or the last person who has seen God be faithful. Yeah. And yeah, the Psalms just continue to guide me in my prayers and guide me in a variety of circumstances. So what's really helpful is when we publicly share about our suffering, we find so much like community in that like mm-hmm. people... Um, walking through it with us and praying with us. And that shapes our faith and that helps us feel like we're not so alone. And so we've, we've had a variety of suffering through like miscarriages and um, just physical stuff. And so we've always, whether it's been publicly, like really publicly on social media or like publicly mm-hmm. in our church context, mm-hmm. have always felt like we should walk through that, not in silence. And the, mm-hmm. we've found the Lord to be really, really faithful in drawing near to us through his people. We're really grateful just for your vulnerability. And and it really does edify the body, just knowing that God made us communal, knowing that, you know, we're all feeling the effects of um, sin in this world. And, um, and yeah, we're all on different um, places in this journey. And so we're called to help each other, right? Just someone is in the midst of suffering and someone's on the other side and to point and to help each other remember that, yeah, God is faithful. Like I'm on the other side of this and you can um, hope in hope in God because he does not change and he is faithful. And and yeah, I love how the Psalms do that for us. It, it really does give us the language of lament and it gives us the comfort that we're not alone in feeling these feelings and that the God who met 
David and the other psalmist is the God that can meet us here too. And so we thank you for, for sharing and pointing us to the Psalms and just really just reminding us of the beauty of the Psalms. And, you know, you talked about how God can shape us in our feelings. Um, and so I think of sanctification, right? What role do feelings have in this journey of sanctification that we're all on? So they, they play a huge role. One of the things I think a lot about is one feeling in particular that we kind of struggle with, or I know I struggle with, is or thinking it's even a right feeling is anger. Mm. Anger just doesn't seem like it's something we should have as Christians. We should not be. Mm-hmm. And the Bible talks a lot about not being angry. And but when you look at God and His character, God God gets angry. He's He's yeah. angry over the right things. And when we look at our feelings in light of who God is. Uh, we often are reminded that we are not angry over the right things. We, I know I'm not. Like m- most mm-hmm. of my anger, I can even probably say like 99.9% of my anger is <laughs> that I'm angry over the things that Courtney hates, not the yeah. things that Courtney yeah. hates, you know? And so <laughs> yeah. like I, I even think of like, because like I'm not around a lot of people right now because we're all quarantined. And so I'm around my kids and my husband. And I think of how I respond to them in anger is mm-hmm. so often because they're just bothering me or they're just doing something that is that I don't want them to do or they're not listening to me. or um, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and when I think about that, I often respond in anger, not in a redemptive way, uh, which is what God's anger is, is intended to lead people to repentance or it's a response mm-hmm. of judgment. And I'm, mm-hmm. I don't get to judge. I'm not God. And so my anger should always be leading to helping my kids or my husband or anybody in my vicinity see that God is God and they are not, but to rep- leading them to repentance. Mm-hmm. And so often my anger is like, I just want you to do what I asked you to do. Like, you yeah. know, and so. Um, <laughs> I just want yeah. five minutes alone. Yeah. And <laughs> right. it's not anger over the right things. And, and yeah. when I, when I am confronted with that, it drives me to my knees and asking the Lord to make me mm-hmm. angry over the right things, make me know his heart, make me, uh, Forgive me for not responding. Forgive me for responding in anger over what I want, not what God wants. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that has probably for me been the one that's been the most sanctifying in my life is that I I don't hate what God hates mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. I just I just really don't like people don't do what I want them to do. Yeah. Yeah. Man, and that takes so much intentionality too, because it is so easy just to feel what we feel and kind of move on. Mm-hmm. But when we do see them, like you said, as an indicator of what's going on in our hearts, yeah. then if we are aware of that, we are actively aware of that, then we can turn to God in confession. Then we can ask him to help us to, to walk away from our sinful patterns mm-hmm. and to shape our hearts to match what he loves and what he hates. Um, but, you know, you mentioned anger. And I think that's one of those, like you said, that we kind of think bad, right? That's a bad feeling. We don't want that. Are there good and bad emotions? Um, Are there some that we should be striving for and some that we should be trying to avoid? So the ones we should try to avoid are the ones that scripture calls sin. Mm -hmm. So envy, jealousy, all the ones that that the Bible says are are sinful. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we, we label certain emotions as sin that the Bible actually doesn't call sin. So the Bible doesn't say mm-hmm. being sad is a sin or mm-hmm. that being depressed is a sin. Because we maybe misunderstand 
um, what those feelings are or how those feelings kind of work themselves out in our lives. We label the wrong things sinful when they when they, they aren't. They're just part of being in a broken world. So we should not be feeling things that God hates, jealousy, rage, anger. I mean, all the ones that, you know, you see in the epistles where mm-hmm. Paul talks about putting off those things and putting on the right things. So feelings are not morally neutral all the time. They are, mm-hmm. uh, they definitely are impacted by sin. And there are just, there are certain things that God says are not becoming of a Christian and not, not part of living a life of righteousness. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Emotions aren't in and of themselves evil or sinful, I think. Um, I think the anger example is perfect because you can have righteous anger and, you know, not be sinning and feeling those things because you're hating what God hates and he hates sin and he hates abuse and he hates, you know, brokenness. Um, and we ought to hate those things too. But, you know, there is an unrighteous anger, which, um, again, I'm in that camp too of that's what we feel most of the time. Um, And so I think that's really helpful to realize that emotions aren't easily categorized as good or bad. And so I know that was something that I really had to learn and work through. Um, Because, you know, a reality is, is that this world is broken and believers are um, subject to that brokenness as well. Um, We're not shielded from the storms of life. And I think your testimony um, makes that really clear. Um, We experience brokenness and heartache and hard feelings. Um, So how can we faithfully walk through suffering and experience hard feelings, I'm thinking like despair and grief, um, in such a way that glorifies God. So again, the Psalms are really helpful to us because they they give us people who have walked through that. Are, uh, mm-hmm. You see in the Psalms where the psalmist will say things like, my eyes are wasted away with grief. Anyone who's walked through grief knows that there's just a point where like you've cried all the tears that are left to cry. And there's, I mean, your eyes are just tired mm. from the reality of grief. And when Jesus comes um, to earth, he embodies the perfect manifestation of how to live with these feelings that we mm. that we walk through in a broken world. And so I, I love the story of Jesus over the grave of Lazarus. He stands over the grave of Lazarus and, he, and he's with Mary and Martha and he's, interacting with him he the text says that he's deeply moved and one mm. one um, Bible commentator says that the the original language for that is that he's deeply angry over mm. the reality of death and the reality that yeah. his friends are now experiencing the effects of that and so then and then yeah. the text tells us that he weeps over the grave of his friend and the What's so striking to me is that he knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows he's going to raise him. Like basically in his next breath, he's going to raise him from the dead. And yet in the moment, he lives in that grief. And so Mm. as Christians, we don't have the assurance as we are grieving or in despair or, or walking through depression that Jesus is going to remove this suffering from us or raise our loved one from the grave in the next instant. But we do have the assurance that he is the resurrection and the life. And that even though (laughs) we die, yet shall we live. We have that assurance that one day we will Mm -hmm. see an end to the suffering. One day we will see the resurrection of those we love who who have died in Christ. And we do have the assurance that every tear will be wiped away. And so 
we can have that same faith that Christ displayed in knowing the outcome because everything he said he was going to do, he did. And Mm -hmm. that is what we hold on to. And it, it makes me think of James talks about how fleeting our life is and how mm-hmm. um, how it's, it's a mist, it's a vapor, and, and in one instant it's over. And what, what's so striking in James also is that James is dealing a lot with suffering, is that understanding that life is short and that while it doesn't feel short right now, it actually is very short in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. assures us that suffering is very short. So even mm-hmm. though it doesn't feel very short right now, it feels like it's an eternity this is where the thinking part of our faith comes in. We have we mm-hmm. we have to remember what is true even when it doesn't feel like what is true. Yeah, and so yeah. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. tension that we have to we hold all the time is what our head tells us is true, our heart often doesn't always catch up to because we mm-hmm. we feel the weight of it. And so I think that Christians can find great kinship in Christ and how he responded um mm-hmm. because yeah, even yeah. though it doesn't feel like in the next breath he's going to raise us all from the dead. He will. Because mm-hmm. with God, a thousand years is like a day. And so mm-hmm. I say this out loud. It's really hard to believe. So it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to say it than it is to to believe it. Yeah. It's hard to close the gap between the head and the heart. And on this podcast, we talk all the time about preaching the gospel to yourself because you know, that is how you close that gap is continually going back mm-hmm. to the gospel. I love that story of Jesus and Lazarus because yeah. it, kind of, it gives us that freedom to feel. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so many times we think, oh, I have to rejoice in my suffering, you know, all of these things. And we are called to do that. But that doesn't mean that we don't grieve over what sin has caused. Yeah. Grieve over these things that grieve the heart of God. Exactly. And, you know, I know that as I have walked through seasons of suffering, what has been so encouraging to me is to look back and hear the stories of others who God has faithfully brought through those things, yeah, yeah. Um, even if they're still in the midst of it, that God has been faithful. You know, whether that is people in scripture, um, you know, I think about him going and having his presence with the Israelites in the wilderness, um, or if it is people that I know in my own life who I've heard their stories of God's faithfulness. I think that's why it's so important for us to to be part of community where mm-hmm. we can not only preach the gospel to ourselves, but when we are so tired and so worn out and so overcome with emotion that we can have those who can remind us yeah. for us, right? Who can preach it, can preach it to us. Um, and, you know, I think that that creates a sense of intimacy with other believers, um, and I was wondering if you could kind of give some insight about how our feelings, whether they are those difficult feelings um, or the feelings like joy, um, rejoicing, um, how they can cultivate intimacy with other people and also with God. In Romans, Paul talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Mm-hmm. And all throughout the Psalms, when the psalmist is delivered from whatever the song, whatever he's talking about, there's often these sections at the end that are, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, or mm-hmm. uh, this corporate praise that comes from the deliverance. And it's a reminder to us that we, that the Christian life is not one of individuality. We're not individuals. Yeah. We are, we are part of a body of people who are redeemed by the Lord. And so mm-hmm. our, deliverance from suffering is for the good of others. Our 
rejoicing in the Lord is for the good of others. Even when in Exodus, when the, the people of Israel are delivered from uh, are, are across the Red Sea, Moses mm-hmm. calls them all together to worship. And so mm-hmm. they all probably had different experiences of that deliverance. You know, they all did what they're supposed to do to get out of Egypt, but they all felt it differently. Mm-hmm. We are delivered so that the body is built up and we worship together as a people. And so that's that's a really important one for, I think, American or Western Christians to really comprehend mm-hmm. because we tend to see our faith as individual and we tend to see our our suffering as individual and we see our joy and our worship. I mean, you see this even in, in worship preferences. God doesn't have a concept of an individual mm-hmm. faith. It's all for the mm-hmm. good of the body. So mm-hmm. one of the things that with rejoicing with those who rejoice, it allows us to share in in their in God's work in their lives and that bolsters our faith when we see another person mm-hmm. worshiping and rejoicing and seeing God work in their life I know that for me that helps me to trust the Lord more mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when we weep with those who weep it allows us to empathize and to enter into their suffering and it allows people to not feel so alone in their suffering mm-hmm. the communal aspect of our emotions and how we respond to the Lord is is crucial in the Psalms, but also mm-hmm. just crucial throughout church history and then how we live as Christians now. And I think even when you think of like the pandemic where we're at right now, like most of us are worshiping watching TV, you know, like we're mm-hmm. we're watching a live stream or recorded mm-hmm. uh, church service and there's an angst that we feel because yeah. we were not made to be individual worshipers we were made to be corporate mm-hmm. worshipers because yeah. we're a people we're not a a person you know so yeah yeah mm-hmm. i think that's like one gift of coronavirus if there was one right to just realize that um man we are made for community and we do feel that ache in us um when we're not worshiping together and yeah i really appreciated what you pointed out even in the psalms i don't think i saw that before is that a lot of the psalms begin with like individual laments but then they end with like this call to corporate worship and and that is just so beautiful to me um and yeah of course worship is the end goal here right so kind of to tie off our conversation could you just touch on what role feelings have in in worshiping god in every season of life they play a huge role they because like again they're a diagnostic tool they help us understand yeah. kind of where we're at so they they help us understand if we're worshiping the wrong things mm. uh, and then they help us understand if we're worshiping god rightly of 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 believing true things about who he is so the psalm the word psalm literally means praise and so praise is the point so god desires to be worshiped he he commands to be worshiped because mm, he is yeah supreme over all things and he is he is good and he's merciful and he's gracious and he's all these things mm-hmm. that demand our response to him he's yeah. not, he's he doesn't just exist for existence sake he exists for his people to respond to him mm-hmm. and some of us feel things so my husband and I are two different types of people he he's a he's not emotionless cuz he does have emotion but he doesn't mm-hmm. so i I have always felt everything really deeply and he, he doesn't feel things as deeply as, as Mm -hmm. I do. Um, But that doesn't mean that he doesn't worship. He just, Mm -hmm. so I think that we as Christians should work to understand 
how we feel about things. And my husband, who it looks different in his life than it does in my life, mm-hmm. the, um, the God demands a response. And so yeah. we emotions are, are one of the ways that we respond to God. And so mm-hmm. I, we think of like even your children, the, we feel something about our children, right? I mean, like we think of, if you have a new baby, it's just, there's something about that new baby that you just like swell inside you. Like, or like mm-hmm. when I'm hugging my kids or my youngest son is sitting on my lap, I'm like, oh, I love you so much. Like, you know, like you feel that. And mm-hmm. that's because th- there's something about them that makes me love them. There's something, mm-hmm. and there's something about how God has created me to be that makes me respond um, with emotion towards them. Mm-hmm. I think the same is true for God. He is infinitely greater than my kids and he's infinitely greater than my husband and any other thing that I love in this world. And it should elicit a response from us because of who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for for sharing with us today. That was all so helpful. And I know that I will personally be diving more into the Psalms and mm-hmm. using them to examine my own heart and also just to have the words that I can't come up with myself <laughs> as sure. I'm processing through all kinds of hard emotions. Now, before we let you go, though, Courtney, we do like to ask three fun questions of every guest. So the first one, which is one that Stephanie and I always answer every podcast, is mm-hmm. what is a current favorite thing of yours? Okay, so this probably seems really silly, but I have really enjoyed um, LaCroix. Yes, <laughs> so, I knew you were yes, going to say that. Yeah. So like, I'm like, <laughs> I-, I like bubbly too. So I'm not, I'm not, I like uh-huh. bubbly and LaCroix. But I, it's really, so my kids take a rest or my youngest son is the only one who naps still, but all of them take a rest in the afternoon. I often will um, drink a LaCroix while I'm, because then no one wants to drink, no one, no one's awake to, to drink. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have I to share. It. Okay, Courtney, what is your favorite LaCroix flavor? Okay, my favorite LaCroix flavor is passion fruit. Okay. My favorite bubbly flavor is blackberry. Mm. Have you tried Key lime LaCroix. Not lime. Key lime. Yes. It's really good. Yes. It's really good. So good. <laughs> Stephanie's <laughs> laughing because she and our editor, Jesse, make fun of me all the time for my sparkling water love. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had, um, the, they have those curate ones. Yeah. That one's, the so, cherry lime one. Oh, cherry lime. So good. When I was pregnant with my fourth <laughs> son, like, so I couldn't drink regular water when I was pregnant in, my, in the first trimester. Made you sick. I didn't want to yeah. gag. So I would drink LaCroix. That's when I started drinking it was when I was mm-hmm. pregnant. And now I just kind of keep doing it. My husband And I, <laughs> I, I'm not supposed to drink. Like I really do like, I like Coke a lot, but I can't drink mm-hmm. it anymore because I have prediabetes, which is another thing. But so I can't drink it anymore. So I'm like, if I just drink LaCroix, then I feel like I'm doing something carbonated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something carbonated. Great. I love it. <laughs> I just can't jump on that bandwagon. I mean, I know people who think it tastes like feet. Like they hate it. Like, so I like I like it. So I love how God made us so unique and diverse. Yet we need one another, right? Yes. Well, no, and then and then Trader Joe's has those bottles of sparkling water, and someone oh, brought them one to us um, when they brought a meal after my surgery. And, or before my surgery, they brought a meal, but like any, either way, it was really, I was like, my husband and I couldn't stop drinking it. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> look Simple joys. <laughs> All right, Courtney, our next question here is what is currently on your nightstand? More books than my husband would prefer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he really, my nightstand drives him crazy. Um, <laughs> so I'm in, I'm in seminary. So right now I have a lot of my seminary books. 
Mm-hmm. And then, um, but I'm working through the James Bible study steadfast that okay. my doctor did. And so I'm mm-hmm. doing it with like some of my neighbors who are doing like a Zoom Bible study. And then um, I'm reading a book. I think it's called His Loving Law, Our Legacy. It's by Janie Ortland, and it's on giving the Ten Commandments to your kids. And then I have a um, fiction book. And I, I think it's called The Giver of Joy, but I can't remember because I just got it from, I brought it from a friend. So I read fiction mm-hmm. before I go to bed. Love yeah. it. So I have I like a little it. smattering of like theology, New Testament books, the Bible study thing. And then it's too many things. It drives my husband. I love it. I'm the same way. I have too many I'm the same too. way too. He'll yeah. walk, he walks by it occasionally and he's like, he like straightens it. <laughs> uh, I love it. Passive aggressively letting you know this is out of control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last question for you. What is one resource? This could be a book, it could be a person, it could be whatever that has most stirred your affection for God's word. This is like my answer for every bit, everything when I get asked this question. It's the um, he's a Bible, an Old Testament scholar. His name is Dale Roth Davis, okay. and um, I love him. Like, if I met him, I think I would cry. Like, I love him. <laughs> he's in his 70s, he's Presbyterian, he was a pastor for a long time. But he's an Old Testament scholar, and so I was first introduced to him when I was a new Christian. I didn't understand the book of Judges. I was, I was reading reading through the Bible, and I remember telling my dad, my dad's a pastor, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why is this in the Bible? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, you should read this commentary by this guy, Dale Ralph Davis. So this is like 14, 15 years, or like 17 years ago, a long time ago. And um, so I read the commentary, and I liked it. And then I, over time, as I grew as a Christian, I just would read some of his commentaries. And then um, I've listened to a more of his sermons than I probably can count. And so he's, uh, he's ministered Very to cool. me greatly. Um, oh, I, I quote I'm him a lot. To check him out. Yeah. I quote him a lot in the book. Um, cause he has, has three books on basically they're his sermon of his sermons on the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And so I even thank him in the acknowledgements of the book. It's a little bit, <laughs> I mean, if anyone has ever done a Bible study on the old Testament and like at my church or has heard me teach on the old Testament, I somehow find a way to bring him in. It's a little bit weird, but I really do am really thankful for him I love and his it. ministry. So. That's awesome. I need to check some of his stuff out. I'm excited now. And I will definitely find those um, books on the Psalms that he wrote and link them in our show notes if anyone else wants to check them out too. Love it. Well, Courtney, seriously, thank you so much. This has been a joy getting to talk to you today. I know that we have all been like in crazy land with coronavirus and recovering from babies and surgeries and all the things. So we are just so grateful to you for taking this time. Um, It's really been wonderful. And I know that all of our listeners will just love hearing from you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And we will talk to you once again next Tuesday.